Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Jeff Fiegel's with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with the New York football Giants and multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program, including on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show on our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we are continuing our opponent preview series and we are in cruise control. We're already now at week seven, Sunday, October 23rd. The Giants are going to visit the Jacksonville Jaguars, a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. And to help us break down what to expect from Jacksonville this season, we are now joined by John Osher, senior writer for Jaguars.com. John, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Uh, fantastic. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, we're all sort of going through the same thing as uh, taking a little bit of slower time and gearing up for the season. So, it's, uh, uh, as you guys know, it, it, it's here before you know it, so you better enjoy the downtime. Absolutely, and we're going to have a little bit of downtime next week, but we wanted to squeeze you in before we relax a little bit before the return of training camp. And Jacksonville, like the Giants, John, a team that made a number of changes this offseason. They have a new coaching staff, and I want to start there because, as you well know, the relationship between the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback, especially a young guy like Trevor Lawrence, is so important considering what he went through last year with Urban Meyer and company. What specifically have you seen or what do you anticipate the level of impact that Peterson, Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, Mike McCoy, all of these guys that have backgrounds in working with quarterbacks, working with offenses, could have on Trevor Lawrence as he looks to take the next step in year number two? Well, I think the biggest thing, and you guys probably have better handle on what Doug Peterson's all about than we do because he was in the division for four or five years, so you saw what he did. Uh, I think beyond the X's and O's, guys, what Peterson's going to bring Trevor and the entire team is a sense of professionalism, uh, calmness, that he knows what he's doing. Frankly, that wasn't here last year. Uh, specifically, they expect to put Trevor in more situations that's, uh, uh, that he's good at. 
last year it felt like they were trying to find out what it was. Uh, now you get the idea they're going to roll him more. They're going to get him out of the pocket more. They're going to try to play into the things he did well at Clemson without being silly. In the NFL, you can't expose the quarterback that much. But I think I think you'll see that. I think you'll see more movement. But overall, it, you know, it's just a different feeling here, especially with the quarterback of, okay, now I'm around guys who know what they're doing. Well, I mean, when I'm looking at the offense, and, and you're right, we know a lot about – Coach Peterson, because we were, you know, covering this team for a while. One thing I know offensively, he likes to run that tight end heavy offense. And obviously, Evan Ingram, a guy from the Giants, people know him very well. Uh, the Jaguars signed him in the offseason. What have you seen out of Evan? Obviously, he's, uh, you know, quite the talent. He's got a lot of speed. I think that he'll be employed in that Doug Peterson offense this coming season. Yeah, I almost feel like I should ask you guys about Evan. But um, <laughs> overall, it, it looks like. Um, you know, they say what they're going to say right now. It, sure. Evan came down. It's a great fit. He said he always admired uh, Doug Peterson's offense from across the way, wanted to play in it because of exactly what you guys mentioned. It's, it's tight end friendly. Uh, from what you could tell during OTAs, he's going to move around a lot. Uh, he's going to be a, a tight end, but with a lot of receiver traits. That's what Doug Peterson likes to do. Uh, Dan Arnold, who will be the other receiving tight end. Uh, I expect those two to be huge parts of the passing game. Uh, it, you know, Evan's almost feeling like their go-to guy in a lot of situations. They mm-hmm. signed Christian Kirk, uh, free agent. But, you know, the hope around here, there's sort of a quiet belief that Evan Ingram is sort of the, uh, you know, the hidden jewel of the free agent class, if you will. Well, I mean, if you look at that tight end offense that they had out in Philly with Zach Ertz, I, I'm hoping that I'm sure if I'm Evan Ingram, I'm hoping that I'm employed a lot like that, and that could be very successful for him. Um, on the wide receiver position, obviously the free agent acquisition Christian Kirk, uh, they they backed the truck up for this young man. I'll tell you that. And I'm just wondering, is he their true number one, um, or is it Marvin Jones? And, and tell me a little bit about that more that receiver room and what the Giants can look at when they're playing those guys this year. Well. I think there's some uh, to be determined there with that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a huge storyline down here. Uh, Christian Kirk looks like he has the potential to be productive. Uh, his best position is in the slot. Uh, they paid him money that you would think he's got to be their number one go-to guy. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that fits. I would think it's more along the lines of what you saw from Doug in Philadelphia, meaning a lot of different uh, receivers being the number one guy each week. That's why I mentioned Ingram before. I think there are weeks Ingram could feel like the X receiver. I mean, so I think they're going to go with that route. I don't think they really have a quote, true number one. Uh, the hope is Marvin Jones, they signed Zay Jones from the Raiders, who they like a lot. He's a little bit of an under, under the radar free agent. Um, I hate to use the word receiver by committee when you signed a guy like Christian Kirk for that much money, but I think there are weeks it's going to feel like that. There's not a I know he's past his prime. There's not a Julio Jones number mm-hmm. one receiver on this team. Uh, I'm not sure Doug really thinks you have to have that. Sure. I'm not sure how much help that, that Trevor Lawrence is going to get from this running game or this offensive line. And everybody knows the quarterback's best friend is his offensive line, and number two would be his running game. Tell me if you can what you see there 
that makes you optimistic that Trevor Lawrence can, in fact, take the next step in his second year as a starter? Well, uh, the running game is is very much an unknown because of this. They drafted Travis Etienne, uh, num- I mean, uh, number 25 in 2021. Uh, didn't play last year uh, because of a this uh, Frank injury. James Robinson, who's their other running back, uh, very good player, undrafted rookie, but when he's healthy, very, very good. He tore his Achilles late last year. Right now, it's a situation where their running game can be really, really good if those two guys are healthy. With those two injuries, obviously, health is an unknown until they show you differently. They like their offensive line better than most people do. Uh, you know, they signed Brandon Scherf as a free agent. Uh, they like uh, Cam Robinson at left tackle a lot. Uh, they have more confidence in their offensive line than a lot of observers. I, I think basically, though, the Trevor Lawrence was drafted number one overall. Uh, he's got to get some help from other people on the team, but at some point he's also got to be the guy and lift others. So I think that's the big storyline around here this year. Well, you mentioned Travis Etienne, John, and he was a college teammate of Trevor Lawrence. People forget about that because, to your point, Etienne didn't play last season due to injury, so perhaps the chemistry could pick up there. I want to piggyback off of your point about the offensive line and what Paul brought up because they did make a big splash bringing in Brandon Sheriff, who we're very familiar with having played in the NFC East, a constant pro bowler, an anchor for that Washington offensive line. And then after giving Cam Robinson the franchise tag, they decided to invest in him, keep him around and continue to build upon his presence what do you see growth wise out of cam robinson this season and what about the interior offensive line they, it seems as if they got some competition at center and maybe some competition also on the outside at right tackle how perhaps those battles will play out well their uh their center situation uh, brandon lender who's team captain probably an under the radar guy because of how bad this franchise has been very good center for a long time he retired so you've got his backup, Tyler Shatley, and a draft pick, Luke Fortner, fighting out for the center position. Uh, they like it, as you guys know. I'm not sure you ever love having that much inexperience at the center position, although uh, Tyler Shatley, the guy I mentioned, he's played a lot with Linder being injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, the right tackle position is, is really where it gets interesting on the Jaguars' offensive line. Jawan Taylor, second-round pick a couple of years ago, is competing with Walker Little, a second-round pick last year. Uh, a lot of people think Walker Little is going to be the guy. He had first-round talent, had some COVID issues where he didn't play a whole lot his last year at Stanford and knocked down the draft. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an unknown position if you look at it on paper. They like it. They like a lot of things about it. But this, is a, this position, right tackle, center, even left guard, uh, by the time they get to New York, meaning – Week seven, you'll have a good idea. For the first four or five weeks, it's a major storyline down here. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, God bless you there. We'll, 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 uh, <laughs> if you need any advice from us up here, we'll give you that, okay? We've, we've been down this road before. Um, you want to <laughs> kind of switch down to go over to the defensive side of the football. Obviously, the, the Jaguars went out. Um, they did a little shopping spree on offense, as we talked about, but they really fortified their defense through the draft. Um, two, three people I want you to, to talk to me about. One, not in the draft, but a guy that I feel like is, is poised for a big year, and that's Tyson Campbell. You know, your, your first-round 
draft pick last year. Talk a little bit about him, how he was kind of, you know, jolted into the starting lineup because of injuries last year and got that experience. And then the other two guys, of course, Trayvon Walker and then the other one, uh, Devin Lloyd. Yeah, Campbell was the first pick of the second round, but uh, number 33, so basically a first-round pick, right? Yeah. He, he really struggled first four or five games. Had, had trouble locating the ball in the air. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it was kind of a strange thing. I'm not sure I've ever seen a guy struggle with that that much. But then all of a sudden, week five, week six, he was hurt, out for a couple weeks, came back and was maybe their best DB to the point where they really liked him a lot. Uh, had uh, two interceptions, which on this team last year, nobody had any interceptions. They had seven for the year. So looks like he's got some ball skills. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't call him the one yet. Shaquille Griffin's still on the other side. Mm-hmm. But he's looking like one of those players who by year two or year three, uh, you know, late year two, could be a really, really, really good player. Uh, the other guys you mentioned, uh, the draft picks, is who you asked about? Yeah, I was just wondering, particularly, I know Trayvon Walker, we know a lot about him, yeah, um, gotcha. obviously. But, gotcha. you know, for me, it's it's Devin Lloyd that I'm kind of, like, yeah. intrigued about um, because the Jags moved up six spots to take him. So they obviously like him a lot in order to move up and grab someone like that. Sure. Yeah, he felt like a guy who, in the draft, we've all seen this, uh, just happened to be slipping because other teams liked other guys. Sure. And then the Jaguars, when they got to five or six uh, picks out, uh, they looked at him. They really wanted to make their linebacker core better. They signed uh, Foyer Oluokun from uh, Atlanta last year, who's the leading tackler in the league. They think he's one of their main off-the-ball inside backers, and they think Lloyd's the other one. Uh, he's, he supposedly blitzes very well. He's very good in coverage. He's a playmaker. Uh, sort of the theory you hear around here, Trayvon Walker – was number one overall pick in the draft. It, it, it may take him some time to develop as a pure pass rusher, mm-hmm. but he's got the physical ability that he's going to make you better with his size, with, with just having them uh, be more stout. The theory is Devin Lloyd could be your impact guy, meaning he's going to make some star plays, some ESPN plays off the blitz. Uh, but they're really excited about their linebacker core. If there's an area where this team has improved, it's the front seven on defense. They've been really bad against the run, which most bad teams are, and they've been bad. Uh, they feel like they're better there, which, of course, they feel like that's going to make them better everywhere on defense. Let me go back to Walker a minute. There was so much talk about him coming out of the draft about, oh, my God, this guy could wind up being the best edge rusher in this class if he's used correctly and if he's given time to develop. Now, see, to me – I can't pick a guy number one overall if I'm doing a whole lot of projections and I got a whole lot of questions about it. So I'm going to be frank with you. I didn't understand the pick. But having said that, let's assume that he has this great talent to be an edge rusher and it's going to take him some time to bring it out. How does this impact Josh Allen, who desperately needs to take a step forward and not just be a good player, but needs to be a great player? Yeah, I think it can only help him. Uh, you know, obviously, if uh, Trayvon Walker comes in and is not any sort of an impact, then it doesn't help Josh Allen because nobody's double, nobody's uh, shifting the defense over to Trayvon. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how Trayvon's going to be. I've seen him in in practice, and you can see why they drafted him. He's an otherworldly physical specimen. 
looks like he does everything right, checks all the boxes in terms of approach. He's one of those guys, if he's not great, it's not going to be because he doesn't work for it. So you feel safe with that. Uh, until he shows it on the field, all number ones are unknown. So I, I agree with you. It's a pick that had some risk to it. Uh, Josh Allen, to your point, I know he's from up there, and uh, I'm sure people in your area know about Josh. He, he has been really good as a rookie, uh, had a chance to be good last year, and to me he was a pass rusher that got hurt by circumstance last year, meaning when you're behind all the time, there's not a lot of pass rushing opportunities. When he had opportunities last year, he was pretty good. Uh, but absolutely, he needs a big year this year. This is his contract year. It, it's his year to show what he really is. Huge year for Josh Allen. I think he'll have it uh, because I think they will be better up front, uh, Trayvon Walker and other guys. We're talking with John Osher, senior writer for Jaguars.com. John, you had mentioned earlier some of the free agent additions they made in addition to the draft. Foye Aluakon, certainly the most notable to help shore up that linebacking core. The other player that jumped out to me in the secondary was Darius Williams, who I thought really did a nice job for the Rams as their nickel back. And it seems as if he's going to slide into a very similar role to complement the corners that are already here. What type of impact do you think Darius Williams could have on the back end of this defense this season? Well, I think he, you know, when you're three and fourteen, as as both people talking here know, when you're a struggling team, which our teams have been, there's going to be holes. Darius Williams fills a glaring hole. They really didn't have a nickel last year. They moved Rudy Ford over, and they had a safety playing nickel a lot. Which in this day and age, that's a tough thing to ask a safety to do, is is uh, be your nickel corner. So, uh, it. It fills a hole where, frankly, they were weak last year. Uh, he, he, in a pinch, can play outside, but they feel like with uh, Shaq Griffin, with Tyson Campbell, and, and uh, with Darius Williams, maybe for the first time since they were really good in 17, they feel like they're pretty close to having their cornerback situation solved. And, uh, and they had Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Boye back then, and they were as good as any corner tandem in the league. Uh, they haven't been close to that lately. But with Darius Williams, all of a sudden – uh, all of your corners can play, and you feel like there's not a weakness back there. Uh, they haven't had that for a while. John, overall in terms of the defense, and I know you had alluded to a little bit of this earlier, but I remember watching that Jaguars defense last season, and despite some of their ups and downs, we saw them pretty much shut down a dynamic Buffalo Bills offense, which is led by the new head coach of the Giants. They won that game, I believe, 9-6. So we've seen some flashes from this group. What, in your opinion, has been holding them back or could be the difference from them being the type of defense that we saw against Buffalo that maybe comes and goes this season versus one that is a little bit more consistent under new defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell? Well, there's so many things when you're as bad as this team has been, and they all sort of feed off each other. But what I mentioned earlier, they they haven't been reliable against the run. They were better against the run last year than they had been the last couple of years. But they would have a game like Buffalo, and then, as you said, they would have a game where Atlanta came down here and ran all over them, San Francisco came down here and ran all over them. Uh, they feel like with uh, Foley Fatakasi uh, from the Jets, I think I'm saying that right. I'm still working on some of these names. No, that's him. Uh, no, that's absolutely. Him. Yeah. <laughs> and and w- with Allen, with Trayvon Walker, with Devin Lloyd, 
all of a sudden you're talking about three or four blue chip guys mm-hmm. who you've added to your defensive front. They really feel like it's not going to be a sieve up here. They feel like they're going to be better there. They feel like once you're better there, you're in more pass rushing situations. They had nine turnovers last year. Uh, I think two or three of them came against Buffalo. So when you force nine turnovers, you can't win any games. Sure. They feel like they're going to be better in those areas. They're not going to be uh, the 2017 defense yet, which was one of the best I've ever seen, but they'll be better. They feel like maybe being better there gets you four or five points, the offense being a little better. Maybe all of a sudden they're back into where they're a competitive team rather than one of the worst in the league. John, I got one more for you, and I want to ask you about a guy on defense who we haven't mentioned at all in this conversation, but he intrigued me coming out of school last year. He's a New York guy out of Syracuse, Andre Sisco at safety. I mean, they drafted him in the third round, so they must must have some high expectations for him. I He intrigued me coming out of the draft. I just got a feeling that he's going to surprise some people down there. Yeah, he's a guy, for whatever reason, and there's so much going on here. So much going on here last year with the coaching staff. It's hard to explain some things that happened. Uh, Andre Sisco really didn't start until the last three games of the season. He's a guy at Syracuse. The intriguing thing you're talking about a team that had nine turnovers last year. I think he had 13 mm-hmm. in like two and a half seasons at Syracuse. Yeah, he was a bullhawk. Insane, no doubt. So uh, for them, the obvious thing is that's what they need. I don't think he's going to have 13 picks in his first whatever games. It's hard to do in the NFL. But he, he, there were plays last year where he showed that in his brief time playing. They certainly think he's that guy. If he's that guy and then uh, Tyson Campbell's the guy we are talking about earlier, all of a sudden you've got two second-year guys, young guys who are pretty good. There's some pieces here. Uh, it's just when you've been 3-14, and 14, it's so hard to say they're good pieces yet until you see it on the field. Andre Sisco, Walker Little, and Tyson Campbell, in addition to Trevor Lawrence, had the potential to make that draft class last year really, really good. Huge year for all those guys, obviously. Year two always is. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that saying? with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, John, so I've spent a little time in the National Football League with some teams, and I know that, uh, you know, a lot of times when you have a coach come in there like Urban Meyer did last year with, you know, starting off as being Urban Meyer, who, you know, obviously a lot of people think he's a great coach and this and that, just from from being around what's going on and covering the team in the locker room and, and things like that, I mean, 
I can't imagine how this team went through that season. And number two is that how are they reacting now to Doug Peterson, who I feel obviously has a Super Bowl. And I think that the turnaround is, are they receptive to what's going on? I would imagine they are. And just maybe just give me a little bit of insight on really what in the world was going on down there. Well, it's, uh, you know, I've been doing this 25, uh, 26 years. I started covering the Jags back in 95. I was with the Colts for about 10 years when they were good in 2000. But the Jags 10 years, so I've seen some bad years. Sure. Last sure. year was off the charts. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it was really just more beyond all the headline stuff and, yeah. you know, it, it, all that stuff with Urban that everybody knows about. It just didn't work. The college coach with no experience, that can work, uh, I suppose, but it's awfully tough in the NFL. When you don't know the league, when you don't know how to deal with players mm-hmm. who are professionals, you know, Jeff, you can certainly speak to it. it it's a different sure. it's a different deal dealing with the professional athletes and the college athletes. I worried about it when, when the hire was first made. We said, you know what, okay, we'll see. That just didn't click. To the point of your question, as you guys can imagine, you're going from one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. Doug Peterson uh, is, is the is the consummate NFL guy. Spent 13 years as a backup quarterback, which most backup quarterbacks are the guys who know the league. You know, then sure. uh, offensive coordinator years in Philly. His approach, basically, I can sum it up by this: if something comes to him and everybody's acting like it's a crisis. He sort of steps back and says, "Hey, we've got this. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. This can do that." You know, and I think Jeff, you probably speak to it more. That's huge for sure. a team, for players when they see conflict or they see crisis, which every every NFL team has it. When the coach gives off a feeling, "Hey, I've seen this before. Here's how we'll get through it." To me, that's the polar opposite difference in the team this year from last year. Well, I think that, you know, from, from a player's perspective, uh, there's a huge difference in respect level. Okay, so you got a lot of yeah. these young guys that have Urban Meyer that comes out of the out of the college ranks, and those guys respect Urban Meyer, the younger guys, because of what he did there. But as you know, in the professional ranks, these are a lot of veteran guys that understand this is how we do things at this level. And if you have a coach like Doug Peterson who's been there before and that can also kind of just have your back in things, and, and I think the biggest, biggest thing for me is the fact that Doug Peterson is probably going to listen more to the players than, than Urban Meyer did. Because I'm sure that Urban Meyer didn't listen to anybody. He's going to do it his own way. So that's going to go a long ways in that Jacksonville Jaguars team. I feel like this is a team that's going to be obviously getting better on both sides of the ball in all three phases. I think the team is going to be a little bit more disciplined in a sense that they're going to be a little bit more creative on offense, which will be fun for the fans down there. And I think this is a team that's probably going to, you know, I don't know, six wins, seven between six and eight. I think that would be a good season for them. What do you think, John? Yeah, no doubt. I I don't think they're ready to be a 500 team yet just sure. because – to me, going from three to nine, a, yeah. a big jump. Yeah. Uh, but and a tough I division. Think, <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think they can be, certainly by the end of the season, you win five, six, seven games. I mean, somewhere in that, I think fans would be disappointed with five, but fans are going to be fans. Say you win seven, you go seven and ten, and you feel like Trevor's going in the right direction. You feel like, okay, we've got our guy. Uh, franchises can live with that. I think I think that would be success, and I think that's reachable for this team. 
particularly if you think Trevor Lawrence is the guy. Uh, if he's showing that, then I think it's a good season. John, before we let you go, I know you had been pretty much throwing questions back our way that we should be telling you about the players we're familiar with and some of the coaches, but there's actually one that you're a little bit more familiar with who came to the Giants this offseason. He's reuniting with Wink Martindale, but he did have a pit stop at Jacksonville last season. That was Jihad Ward, and I know when he was asked some questions about Jacksonville and passing, he wasn't necessarily too excited about talking about <laughs> his one season there, but... I'm just curious, A, how much of the situation perhaps didn't allow him to truly show his potential, and what do you think he brings to at least the Giants' locker room now that he's a veteran presence with a bunch of young guys? He's a great locker room guy in, in terms of the media. Uh, you know, there was still some after effects with COVID last year, still weren't in the locker room a whole lot, so I didn't get to know Jihad. Sure. Talked to him a couple of times and, and could observe from afar. Uh, I know the defensive coordinator – Joe Cullen last year had been with him in Baltimore, loved the guy, loved him as a locker room presence, loved what he brought to the organization. Uh, you know, most people who were here just for a year with it being last year are, are, are probably going to have, uh, how should I put it, they're probably going to have some thoughts on what <laughs> happened last year. So, uh, you know, that's not surprising. Overall, I think Jihad's going to give you effort. He's going to fit into it. He brings that Ravens mentality. He, he does know what winning looks like. Uh, so I think he'll be part of the rotation. I, I wouldn't expect him to be an absolute superstar, but he's certainly a guy who helps your defense and, and, and can do multiple things and give you a little pass rush uh, when the opportunity's there. And those numbers certainly have been backed up based on his career thus far. He is John Osher, Jaguars.com senior writer. John, we greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we look forward to seeing you week seven when the Giants collide with the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Thanks for joining us here on the program. I look forward to it, guys. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you. Thank you, You got it. Our pleasure. John Osher providing some great insight into the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that the Giants only play once every four years, and we'll certainly provide some of our feedback on this team as the Giants are going to play the entire AFC South division. And I see a lot of similarities, guys, between the Giants and the Jaguars because there's a lot of newness going on in Jacksonville. They're trying to build that culture, revamp the roster with Doug Peterson coming in. Jeff, you even hit him up with that question, the biggest difference between Doug Peterson versus Urban Meyer, who had more of a college background. But I want to circle back to where I started the conversation conversation with John because I think Doug Peterson we saw that in this division he has a really good track record a developing quarterbacks that's why I really like the fit with him and Trevor Lawrence and b he has the track record and if you remember guys John mentioned that he doesn't think that Doug Peterson needs a number one wide receiver because he can make do with sort of a receiver by committee, I believe was the phrase he utilized. And I'll go back to how many games did we see? And there was one game a few years ago in Philly where he had to convert wide receivers to tight ends and running backs to wide receivers. They were hammered by injuries. And I think this was the game Zach Ertz, you brought him up, Jeff. He scored the game-winning touchdown in overtime, Mm -hmm. if you recall. Mm -hmm. They came back from, I think, about a two-touchdown deficit. So I think Doug has that creativeness where he can make do with some limitations on the roster. And I think Evan Engram could be the center of his game plan where he really taps into utilizing him in a variety of different spots. Well, I mean, just as we saw 
Doug Peterson on the sidelines. Doug Peterson saw Evan Ingram on the field. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like he, he, he senses that there is some ability still there. We all know that Evan Ingram can play football, right? We do. I think just, I feel like it's just, I don't know. I, I feel that maybe sometimes a chain of ce- change of scenery is better for players. And I think this might be one of those instances where Evan Ingram will go down there and feel like he's appreciated a little bit more. And um, because you obviously, you know, he had a hard time up here with the fans and, and I'm staying healthy he, too. And I, by that the way, he dropped that pass against Philly. I'm sure that that's probably why he signed him down there. Like, thank you. <laughs> now we'll take you. But anyways, I, I feel like he's got a chance to do some things down there because really, if you're a tight end in, in Doug Peterson's offense, you got to be pretty excited because of the track record that you've seen with that offense and those tight ends down in Philly. So, um, but I, I, I almost think like a little bit of like with, with Brian Dable, the ability to, to offensively be creative enough. We saw the, the touchdown in the Super Bowl with the with Foles, you know. So these are types of things that I see that are very similar to Brian Dable and, and Peterson in the way that they call plays, the way they 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 kind of go out there and they execute these things and they 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 make these plays up where nobody's seen them before. You know, obviously they're you know they work a couple times and then you can't do them anymore. But it's probably be pretty exciting for Evan Ingram to have a coach like that down there. So I, I I'm happy for Evan. We all know we liked Evan good around guy. here and uh, just really a, good guy, a, a very overachiever, a guy that tried very very hard. Um, and hopefully he can get a, you know, a second chance to his career down there. So does well, that mean the Jacksonville special is coming? Is that what you're saying? Evan Jackson, yeah, yeah. Trevor Lawrence? Yeah. I never Are you predicting that this ball. season? Oh, you never know. No, I'm not predicting that. You're putting my words in my <laughs> well, mouth. Well, I just figured now. I'd throw that out. You were alluding okay. to it. so I'm, I'm saying there would be something tricky going on. But, you know, so we'll see what happens. But I, I just think that I'm hoping Evan Ingram gets to play his full season yeah. 17 games. Sure. He had always made that a point with the Giants. And back in 2020, he did actually play all 16. But but he had always said, you know, my first goal coming in, because he had had a number of injuries the first three years of his career, is that I just want to be able to play every game. Well, and sure, that's where it always that, – yeah. well, for him, though, he yeah. took a lot of pride in, like, I need to make this happen. Yeah. So for his sake, the change of scenery, getting out of some of the boo-bird atmosphere that he had to deal with here in New York – He's a really good kid, tremendous attitude, good teammate, works his butt off. In fact, he's a hell of a practice player. Yeah. I mean, well, we all know this. We've seen him. He doesn't drop anything at practice. Yeah. And he's and a worker. Then, you know, he, he works very hard. To, and I'll tell you, you know, there's a lot of guys you can't say this about in the National All the coaches that, that he worked under with the Giants all loved him. Yeah, because he's, you know, he works. He's, he's, he, you know, he's trying to, to really – fine-tune his craft by doing things, you know, and it's just a matter of time before. And again, you look at Daniel Jones and what they put him through the, you know, three or four years. It's just, I mean, Evan Ingram's the same way. Yeah, he was a part of that. Yeah, Yeah, so I think that now, and I I can tell you this, and I know this for a fact, that the change of scenery for some players is tremendous. Yes. And remember this, there's a lot of guys that have left the New York Giants and went to other places and had amazing careers because of the change of scenery before. So I think that it works both ways. And um, obviously sometimes you can't hold on to a player like that because it's just his time has run out. But that's not to say that Evan Ingram is going to be a horrible player for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I seem to think he's going to do pretty good down there. I think we all will root for him. Sure. We except all for this want, we all, Yeah, we all want him to do well. 
in Jacksonville because we he hope he dropped a pass like that. Yeah, didn't okay, Philly, that's okay. fine. But he's a he's a good dude, and I Absolutely. think we're all going to pull for him. That he does well down there. See, one of the problems for me, I, I think that the Jaguars are about three floors lower than the Giants in the rebuild. I don't think there's much similarity mm-hmm. to the Giants at all. I think they're way behind in terms of that. So uh, they've got a long way to go. But what I will say about them is they really got burned. Uh, with Clavon Chason, the the linebacker who they drafted in the first round a couple of years ago, he was supposed to be one of those defensive studs that was going to change the game. Like Thibodeau kind of. hasn't done a yeah. damn thing for them. Sure, that that was a bust. That and we all know this: first round busts will come back and haunt you for at least three years, if not longer. You pay dearly for those, and Chason hasn't given them a whole lot of anything. In fact, he even has trouble getting on the field as a starter. That's how that's how much of a bust he's been. And that's costly. And they're still hurting and licking their wounds from that one. Well, well and that's why, to Jeff's point, sometimes you get your hands on a player as a new coordinator. You use him differently yeah. than the previous regime. So, you know, maybe Mike Caldwell. It was just like the question about Trayvon Walker. Well, Walker, maybe in Jacksonville's defense, is going to tap into the potential that we didn't necessarily see on the collegiate level. I'm not guaranteeing it, and I'm not saying that I was ultra excited about the pick, just like you, Paul, but sometimes it goes back to, just like where we talk about Evan Ingram, you get a coordinator who's going to feature you, use you in a different way, you can tap into the potential. That's why, see, Evan has a reason to be excited because he's going into an offense that features his position. And sometimes that's what you need. You need a coach that's going to take you, going to move you around and say, hey, we're going to make you the guy. Now it's time for you to take full advantage of that. So maybe that's what Jacksonville needed. And the reason why I don't think there's that big of a disparity between the Giants and the Jaguars is you've got still a lot of youth on both teams. And you have a new coaching staff that's coming in to really try to steer the team in the right direction. So, yeah, you can maybe argue that, you know, some of the draft picks are a little bit different in terms of the proven commodities, but I really don't think there's an ocean between both of these teams right now. I think both teams have some question marks that they need to answer, and they need to answer sooner rather than later if they want to take the next step forward. Lance, I thought you mentioned something pretty cool that, you know, when you have these players, okay, now remember, both offense and court, well, the head coach, has been a player in the league. Mike Caldwell was actually my teammate in Arizona in yeah. 1997, and he's a linebacker. Okay? And you remember him? Yeah, I do remember him better because I remember he's such a he's a great guy. I mean, really, his his you know had a good 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 um, time in the, in the NFL as a player, but also bought his time as a coach too. By the way, in Philadelphia, so um, he's a linebacker. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about guys coming either where they're, they're drafted or they're coming from another team, put in a scheme. Mike Caldwell knows a little bit about the linebacking position, and he's got quite a few of them now that he can play with. And so I think that that defense may be better than you think. Um, and, of course, you know, any defense, if you can't stop the run, your linebackers better be pretty good. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that the, the defense will get a little bit better down there. But that makes a difference. And I've always told you guys this before. With the kicking and punting positions and long snapping, none of these coaches have ever played the position. I think it makes a huge difference when you get a coach, and not only a coach, but a coordinator that understands the position that that he played can pretty much go and and help these guys tremendously. Speaking of specials, I just noticed from looking at their updated roster that Ryan Santoso is down there right now. Oh, is he? Okay. The the former Giants kicker. Remember, he was here for a short period of time. Had a strong leg. Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, I know the Giants are happy they wound up with Gano. But Santoso had showed them something because he could really kick the ball hard. Yeah, and then you know sometimes um, 
it's it's so hard. There's only 32 of those jobs in this league, you know, and and these young guys they just gotta they gotta hang on for a while until because honestly, um, a field goal kicker or even punters, it's all about timing for these guys. You know, most of them have the same ability. It's just a matter of if they get a chance and if they make the best of their chances. Okay, so that's the biggest thing. And one and and one thing about it is, is that most of these guys have about the the legs or strengths are very similar. Okay, they can all kick it 50 plus yards. They can all kick it through the end zone. It's between the ears that it happens in that position. And so that's something you can't really control. That's up to the player more than anything. And so that's why a lot of these guys fizzle out. Well, know? that's what separates the guys that can 100%. execute consistently, Jeff, right? Yeah. Yep. All of them have the leg, but it, the question is, can I rely on you game in and game out to using yes. that strength and being accurate enough to make field goals? It's just like golf. I mean, you look at the Corn Ferry Tour, the PGA Tour. All these guys can play golf. They can all hit at 330 yards. They yep. can all hit a bunker shot. But how many of them are really, really good putters? And that's what distinguishes the good players and the bad putters is that Paul can't make a putt from five feet if he tried it six times. But most of the pros will make every single one of those every single time. <laughs> but can you? <laughs> yeah, I'll make them all. Yeah, but not, not every one of them. But, but my, point, my point is being that that's, that's not physical. That's all mental. And that's what happens with kicking and punting. And even long snapping. I mean, look at Trey Junkin. Trey oh, Junkin, Trey Junkin was my long snapper in Arizona, who was one of the better ones I've ever been around. And then something happened in San Francisco. You know, and so. One snap. One snap. And it all, it, what was it, 16 years I think he was in the league? Yeah, a and, long time. And, and it was all undone by one snap. One day, yep. And by the way, because of that debacle, I'm sitting here talking on the, this show because that's, that, that was the year after. I came to the Giants the year after that. Right. Remember, they made a whole overhaul. They got oh, a yeah. new kicker, a new punter, and a new long snapper. That whole year was the, that domino was the effect. Matt, Matt Allen was the punter. Matt Allen was gone. And yep. then, uh, yeah, and I don't even remember who the kicker was, but who was the kicker that year? Do you remember? Oh, my God. Why am I forgetting? The, the guy who went to uh, um, oh, Matt Bryant. Yeah, Matt Bryant. Okay. There, yep. there, he yep. went to Atlanta. Yep. Yeah, so he actually stuck around because Mike Hollis got hurt. Remember? Yes, yes. And uh, and so did, and by the way, so all three of those guys, me, Hollis, and Keel, two of the three got hurt and were out for the season. <laughs> they go sign three free agents, and two of the three are out. I made it through. So. Yeah, well, there you go. You were the lucky charm. I was the lucky charm. Yes, you were able That's to right. survive, and, and the rest and both is history. You and Matt Bryant kicked a long Man, time. And Matty B left here, and just and he just he, he went to Tampa, remember, and then he went to Atlanta, yeah. real well, and really resurrected his career in Atlanta. He really did. I and mean, well, once he got indoors, um, again, like I said, he had a really strong leg, but he was pretty mentally tough. That kid, he really was, and uh, had a great career. Really good career. Happy for him. Yeah, he wound up yeah. playing 18 years in the was NFL. It, was it 18? That's, that's, that's no incredible. Jeff Fiegel's, but it's still Well, hell, it's pretty decent. close. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, because when he was out the door here, I don't think many people thought he was going to make it anymore. You know? No, I, I don't think so. And, you know, man, you know, isn't it funny, though? And, and I know we're off topic here just a little bit, but, Jeff, you can speak to this. Punters and kickers usually will get at least training camp tryouts with three or four, maybe even five teams, right? Before yeah. they eventually wind up sometimes, fading away. Yeah, sometimes. Right? I mean, it just depends. Again, it's it's more it's time. You get chances. Yeah. Well, well because what you do with them too. that makes That's the difference happens, because right? you will get chances. Well, if the timing is there, that doesn't mean you're going to make it, right? So, yeah, that's what you're saying. And, and for example, for me, coming out of college in Miami, I was, you know, we were on a – we won the national championship that year coming out of college. 
there was a lot of senior guys that made teams and stuff like that. I wasn't drafted. So all I could do was get a chance to go to training camp, and that's what I did. And I made the best of it. And really what happened was that Rich Camarillo at the time mm. was a pro bowler. And, yeah. and Tony Franklin was also a pro bowler. Mm-hmm. But they were both back in those days making a lot of money. And so there was a change in the guard. So it was me and this guy named Teddy Garcia, who was the kicker. I remember him. They, yeah. made, they made a total rookie change. So it was a rookie kicker and a rookie punter that year. And it was because of money. And that's all timing. And so, and plus, I, I, I honestly, I, I did kick better than him that year. And so that was made, I made an easy choice for them to sign me for, you know, a contract that was basically for $52,000 for this season. <laughs> bargain. It's a long time a ago. bargain in today's market. Oh, yeah. That's like half <laughs> Highway robbery market. in today's yeah, market. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. But part of what I'm telling you is that it's all about timing and being able to, you know, capitalize on the moment. And, but it's not given. You've got to work for it. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Jeff Fiegel is with you here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A few reminders, Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants Giant Suite Partner. Limited full season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or for this one, you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. As we have been hitting on the Giants opponents over the last few shows, today focusing on the Jacksonville Jaguars, we are going to continue our opponent preview series on July 11th. We are off all of next week, and there is no show tomorrow, so just want everybody to plan accordingly. But you can check out all the latest editions of Big Blue Kickoff Live in our archives on Giants.com, the mobile app as well as your favorite podcast platforms. And you can check out some of the latest editions of the Giants Huddle podcast in the meantime as well. So still a lot of great content across the Giants landscape. NFL.com has put out a lot of articles over the course of the offseason, and we've been focusing on some of them. And guys, I want to turn our attention to one of their latest features, and this one has to do with the quarterback landscape. They actually ranked every single division based on what they feel quarterback performance will happen in terms of this season and what some of these guys, of course, have done in the past. And it's, I don't think, a dramatic surprise, but the NFC East was dead last. They put them eighth amongst all the divisions. Now, they didn't rank the quarterbacks within the division. All they did was they listed them in alphabetical order based on the team. So I don't know if there's anything to read into that, but I just thought how NFL.com and some of their writers view the NFC East division based on the quarterback play in comparison to the rest of the league. And their question marks, it's not about Dak because they said, they even (laughs) apologized to Dak in the paragraph if you read it. (laughs) Apologize to my guy Prescott who is a tremendous player and leader. That's what it opens up as, yeah. Exactly. So (laughs) their rationale was they feel the Giants, the Eagles, and the Commanders they have all question marks in terms of whether or not these three guys are going to be the staple for the quarterback position moving forward. That was really what their thinking was. The fact that Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, and Carson Wentz, there's no guarantee that two years from now, let's say, and I'm giving you a hypothetical timeline, that those three guys are going to be under center for their respective teams. And you can't really argue with that, right? Carson's moved around. Jalen got an opportunity because Mm -hmm. the Eagles moved on from Carson, and Daniel Jones, we know, is a lame duck quarterback. So 
I don't think it's disrespect for the NFC East. I just think that's the reality of the circumstance right now. Well, that reality, though, is is also uh, prevalent in some other divisions. Maybe not as many. I, I For example, I mean, the, AFC, the, South. Well, in the, the AFC, AFC South. Well, in the AFC North, Watson's not going to be there long in Cleveland. This guy's got so many legal well, issues. Wait a minute. I mean, that's right now this season. He got he's got a fully guaranteed oh, contract, he's Paul. Not, uh, no, I, 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 that's a mess. That is a mess. That's for this season, though. And I, I, I wouldn't long touch. Term. I wouldn't touch that situation with a fifty thousand foot pole. Mitch Trubisky's obviously not long for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, but they drafted Kenny Pickett, though. Okay, right. But right now, Trubisky's the starter. So but, I mean, you, you he's, know, he's not guaranteed at, to be the starter the whole season, though. Well, if you're looking at this year's starters, guys going into camp, and you say to yourself, okay, which division has four solid starters? Well, right now, the North doesn't because Watson, no good. Trubisky, no good. Uh, these, uh, the South, uh, Matt Ryan's on the end of his rope. Trevor Lawrence is still a question mark. Davis Mills, I mean, come on, man. Really? You know, Houston's a mess. Ryan Tannehill, I happen to like, but I know a lot of people don't. So the AFC South doesn't exactly have a stellar group of quarterbacks starting in week number one. Uh, I then go to, if you want, the NFC South. We know who Tom Brady is. Yeah, we heard of that guy. Jameis Winston, I've never been impressed with. Sam Darnold is nothing to write home about. And Marcus Mariota is starting for Atlanta. Don't think that he puts a lot of quake in people's shoes either. NFC West, I've never been a Kyler Murray fan, although he's been productive, and I'll give him his due. Matthew Stafford's outstanding. Trey Lance, my goodness, are you kidding me? San Francisco is better <laughs> off with Jimmy Garoppolo. They never should have made that draft pick. Well, I mean, Lance has barely started. What does he have, one Ex- start? So, right, I mean, but, come on. but he was <laughs> overrated to begin with and overdrafted. That was a no-brainer. Every football person I know thought that that was a foolish draft pick. Trey Lance, absolutely boneheaded draft pick. Garoppolo should be their quarterback. And so basically Smith, every quarterback sucks there, in the NFL. Been there, done that. Been there, done that with Geno Smith. A couple of teams at least have done it, tried it. That's not a good situation either. So let's face it. There are a lot of quarterbacks in this league right now who leave a lot to be desired, okay, in terms of starting quarterbacks in this league. Well, there's no question that the AFC West is probably the number one. They have it as number yeah, one. Yeah, they have it as number at, one. I mean, that, I'm not touching. That, I'm not touching that division because it's good. That one is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a pros pro division right there. I can tell you right now. I think the rest of them are up for for conversation as how you want to seed them. In your well, argument, Tua. But, but obviously they had to do Come it on. some way. But Tua, uh, Zach Wilson, honestly. Yeah. I We're mean, going to me, scare people with those guys playing quarterback? I actually, to me, I, I would actually put the NFC East a little bit above the NFC South, in my opinion. Because other than Tom Brady, he's in there. you got to put him up there, I guess so. But um, I mean, the NFC South is seventh. They have that just yeah, ahead. Exactly. And then the That's AFC South is six. So the two other yeah. divisions we were talking about with question yeah. marks, they're right, right in the same ballpark exactly. and they as the NFC East. They could probably all be yeah. piled into one there, you know? So, yeah, and it is interesting. And I think that, you know, when you look at the league at the quarterback position, I think we're on the precipice of, of things starting to change and going to the younger guys. And, and it's going to it's pretty good. I mean, some of these younger guys are going to be really good players. I think Justin Fields is going to be a good player. I think that some of these, uh, you know, Trey Lance has just got a matter of time before he plays, whether he can play over Garoppolo or not. They still drafted him. I think he's a good quarterback eventually. Um, Kenny Pickett's another guy that who knows? I think that he could be a good player up there in Pittsburgh. So I think the league and the young quarterbacks are kind of exciting. The, you know, when we were talking to John, we didn't really touch a whole lot on Trevor Lawrence and what he still has to bring to that team. I still feel like there's a guy that 
you know, when when are we going to see him really come out of his shell and be that number one pick overall? And I feel like this is kind of a, a good mix for him to have this coach, Doug Peterson, there. I think he's going to help him uh, simplify the game a little bit, maybe understand the offense that they're going to run so that he can get put in positions to make some plays. Unfortunately, I don't think they have the greatest receiver core, as I mentioned. Um, right. And I think that they're going to rely on that running game with ETN. And, and really, we forgot to even mention, or, or John or us, is that that guy can catch the football out of the backfield, oh, yeah. which I think is another mm-hmm. big plus for him. And him being a teammate of Trevor Lawrence is a big plus for them, too. they got to get the ball out of Lawrence's hand quickly. Yeah. Look, Jacksonville just invested in Cam Robinson. Sure. I didn't want to get on our guest for it, right. but are you I, well, serious? Well, here's the thing. The re- he is not a franchise left But they tackle. thought he was, and therefore they went after, you know, they went defense for the first we, pick. We, we've, we've all been through, okay, and you know what I mean, about fooling ourselves about offensive linemen who we thought were going to be better than they are. Well, if if they really believe that Cam Robinson is their left tackle to protect their future franchise quarterback, boy, are they in for a rude awakening. Well, you know what? You brought you might want to thank them because we I don't know if Evan Neal would have been here. You know, if they You're right. You know, so <laughs> I mean, yeah, thank I mean, you Jacksonville. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's they why they go. Well, yeah, yeah. their yeah. foolish Trevon Walker pick that also helped the Giants out because, too. Because of Robinson. They they, no they doubt. feel that, that was that was it. So No that, doubt. You know, uh, yep. thank you. You're right. You, <laughs> you 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 trace that right back to its very root. Yeah. Uh, uh Jeff. It was pretty amazing that when we were covering the draft how he just started to move up the boards like the last month, right? Was it like the last 6 Walker. weeks? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I was like, "Keep going, man! Keep going!" I, I like him a lot. I, I hope he does well. I think he's, 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 you know, he seems like a good kid. And I think that when they showed those families, you know, he didn't go to the draft. He stuffed back with his family. Here is the first overall pick in the draft, and he's at his house with. I and, and those things mean something to me. And I, I feel like those are are big uh, components of, you know, the locker room. I think he's going to be a good guy, and and you want that character out of these people because, man, I'll tell you, today's game, you're investing a lot of money in those first-round draft picks. Uh, Lots of money. Well, that's why, for me, the projection outweighed the production for him coming out. And I don't think you can spend a number-one draft pick. And I mentioned it to our guest, and he kind of agreed. He's like, that's a risk. When you have a heavier projection outweighing the production of of the prospect, you are really rolling the dice. He had four interceptions last mm-hmm. year. That's incredible. Tremendous athlete. Yeah, that's yeah. tremendous it skill take set. Some time. Nobody. And let me make this clear for those of you who are now going to, you know, pelt me on Twitter about Trevon Walker. I'm not questioning his athleticism. I'm not questioning his skill set. What I am questioning is if you have the number one pick overall in the draft, you better have every box checked and be damn sure that sure. the production is warranting that number one pick. Walker did not have overall production over his college career that warranted a top pick. Yeah, he wasn't a monster stats guy. And normally when you're not a monster stat guy in college, not to say that it can't all of a sudden go to the next level in the NFL. It could. I'm not ruling that out. But you you feel a lot more secure when you say, okay, this guy had X amount of sacks or X amount of tackles and had all these game-changing plays. He's a great – he's a much easier pick at 8, 9, or 10 than he is at 1. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, obviously there's some people putting their neck on this one that eventually he's going to play into that number one pick. But to your point, it just doesn't seem that he's – he warrants that number one pick overall. Hutchinson and Thibodeau both, yeah. both outproduced him sure. as pass rushers. Yeah. 
Well, college. listen, a few a few months ago, maybe more than a few, maybe coming into the college football season, Thibodeau was the number one guy. Right. He was supposedly the number one person. Now, so. this does go back to what Lancer said, and, and we talked about this a little bit, about having a guy play out of position or being used differently oh, by 100%. different coordinators yeah. in different systems. Yeah. So Walker was not always used to maximize his pass rush potential. Right. So you do have to take that into well, account. Well, that's probably what they did take But again, account. that equation, the fact that that equation exists makes him disqualified to me as the number to one you. pick. Because For me. you are the ultimate qualifier. Well, we all have the right when we sit in the GM's chair to <laughs> yeah, make that selection. Yes, yeah. If I'm in that chair, I can't do it. No, you want the okay. resume. I get yeah. that. Right. And I don't think now, there's anything wrong with that. You yeah. want the security right. connected to it. Sure. I think, though, there were two things that came into play. I think the Jaguars, I go back to my statement about the fit. I think they had a conversation with Mike Caldwell, who played with Jeff, and mm-hmm. they basically said, Mike, if we draft this guy— What's your vision? How do you utilize him? What do you think? You have to do that. And I think that he obviously gave them a very good answer, and he himself had confidence. And then the second thing is, and this is not speculation, Trent Baalke, their general manager, had insinuated this. Remember, Baalke was with San Francisco, Mm -hmm. guys. And mm-hmm. the Niners, they had drafted a lot of big guys up front. So he had indicated that Walker had the measurements that reminded him of a lot of players they brought in in San Francisco that did pan out. So it's one of those old philosophies of, well, the guy's got a similar build. He's got a similar wingspan. He's got a similar reach. His arms are this wide or whatever it may be. If this guy could do it, then we know Walker could do it. And, hey, there's risk involved in that. I don't love that rationale. I'd rather see the resume and hear from the defensive coordinator, but I know that swung a lot of influence with no respect doubt. to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's the thing. And here's where I will applaud the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I mean this wholeheartedly, folks. You have to have conviction. If you're the head coach and you're the general yeah. manager and you're the college personnel director, I applaud a guy who at least says, you know what? I believe this. I'm standing on my own two feet. I have conviction. I'm assertive about it. We're taking this guy, and I'm slamming my fist on the table because I believe in him. Now, that's fine. And, in fact, I applaud that because there are some people who will be wishy-washy and won't. So, yes, I applaud them for having conviction. I do have tremendous doubts, though, about the amount of risk that they took with their conviction. Tremendous? Like I, you have tremendous doubts? I think to be the number one overall that's a heavy pick. Word for, that's for the number one overall pick, there's there's not enough boxes checked there for me. It's it's a hell of a risk. I'll give you an example, and it's on a much lesser level. And that's why I, I almost hesitate to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it explains something. I remember when the Giants drafted O.R. Digizua back in the third round, and this goes back to 2015. Mm-hmm. He's coming out of UCLA, and... I had heard a lot from the Giants folks. He wasn't used right at UCLA. This guy is going to be a pure pass rusher. And when he gets into the NFL, we're going to use him differently. And we're going to make him that edge rusher. And he's got all the physical tools. And you guys remember him. He had physically. He looked like Tarzan, right? He's like Jane. All the tools. <laughs> this guy, when you lined him up on, in uniform on the field, he looked like the prototype pass-rushing defensive end that this league was just dying to get their hands on. And the Giants insisted they're going to unlock it. 
UCLA, they made him a run-stopping defensive end. They didn't have him rush the passer. They didn't put a premium on it. We're going to get him to go after the quarterback when he gets here. And that didn't work out so well, did it? Now, I know he had a hip injury. I say, he got hurt. And I know it kind of affected his uh, motor, and he just didn't seem to have good. to. He didn't have the gumption to kind of fight through <laughs> it, but it just never happened. Because why? He was much more of a projection than a production pick. That's, that's where that phobia is best illustrated, best illustrated for me. <laughs> Sure, but better making a decision like that in the third round than exactly. with the number one overall pick. I could never do that with the first overall pick Some in the draft. Tell me you don't lose your job in the third Are round Are you pick. kidding me? It's okay. You know, no way am survive. I going anywhere near that territory with the first overall pick. Well, talk I'm just about, not talk about conviction. If you're, if you're going with that pick, the number one pick, you're going to have conviction because you have to. Well, you're putting your job yeah, on the line. You absolutely are. Okay? Yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. That, that is a GM slash head coach killer if you get it wrong. You look at a guy like Joe Burrow. That, that to you, that's a guy that projected, right? And there, not, I take that back. Oh, Joe Burrow. There, no, there was no projection. He was winging there. it. I'm saying he was, he was ready. He right? was winging it. He had an outstanding so, college season. Outstanding yeah. college season. So there was no projection for him. He was ready to go, boom, and you know, sure enough, that's where he's at. Yeah. Josh Allen, would he be your your type of guy that would be no know. Josh Allen to me was projection because in, in fairness Jeff Josh yeah. Allen didn't come from LSU exactly. like Joe Burrow I was didn't Lyle, play against big time Josh programs and there yeah. was accuracy questions yeah. so yeah, yeah so, I think that was a little bit more projection, projection. Yeah, I didn't sure. think so I didn't see him as a project and that's in, in the eye of the did. beholder no I didn't I, <laughs> no I said of course you did it I thought I thought Josh <laughs> Allen and we know this it's it's documented on the show he was my pick for the top quarterback in that draft. And I said, this guy's going to be terrific. I well, thought, I thought all a while. It, it took him a couple of years. Well, I think coaching made a significant difference. I loved his skill set. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I thought in school, even though the, the accuracy thing was an issue, and I thought that that could improve, what I loved about him was his toughness. I loved his leadership skills. I loved all the intangibles that he brought to the table. That was not a projection for me. I did a lot of study on him. Well, he's definitely and I, a leader. And I, and I had I – had, Coaches, assistant coaches in this league who I knew said, told me about watching film on him, and they said, watch some of these things about him, how he makes everybody around him better. Yeah. You can't teach that. That's not a projection. That's for real. He's perfect up there. I loved Josh Allen. Yeah, and, you know, Kelly hey, the Bills are reaping the reward. Anyway. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Again, a reminder, no show on Friday, no show next week. We're back up and running Monday, July 11th. We hope to be up and running live, but we'll obviously keep you posted through social media and Giants.com. And a reminder, today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino and Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your week, the weekend, the next weekend. We'll speak to you on Monday, July 11th. You can stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Have a good one.